About a year ago, uh, it was right after Sanctity of Life Sunday, I had a conversation with Tony, and she told me a little bit more about her story, and I got a uh, CD of a time when she had shared it, and I was like, I know what we're doing next year, because her story of how God uh, rescued her and was relentless in pursuing her is a neat story to be told, and it involves uh, what we're talking about today, an abortion, and her life. And uh, even though uh, Tony doesn't quite know how to spell either her first or her last name quite right, um, we are thrilled to have her with us. She goes to the first service, usually sitting right over one of those two places, and uh, there was a lot of... uh, people praying for her in the first service, and uh, we got some people praying for her in the second, and I think to encourage her heart, could we give her a nice round of applause? Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, This is not an easy subject for me, and a lot of you it might be pretty hard to listen to also. So your prayers are for not just for me, but for everyone here also. Um, My parents moved me to Florida when I was 14, and most people would go, whoopee! I was just finding my identity up here in Illinois. And when you moved to Florida, it's a little different back then. If you're a snowbird, you're a snowbird. Because down there, it's surfers or rednecks. And a snowbird's not going to be allowed into any of those. So I wasn't popular in school. I did manage to get a very good girlfriend, which was uh, almost snowbird, a little not quite as high up as I was. And we wrestled through high school and uh, didn't have any dates to speak of. And a gentleman was working uh, from Orlando down in the Fort Pierce area. And I met him, and he was quite a bit older than I was, and he wanted to take me out after getting to know me for a while, and I pretty much had to convince my parents that it was all right, I would be a good girl, even though he was older, and they allowed me to date him. Well, eventually, we bought some horses, and we... Plus, I scuba-dived at that time. I was having a nice time. He wasn't, (laughs) evidently. And uh, sure enough, I came up pregnant. He, uh, right after finding out, took me 120 miles up to Orlando, Florida, to his parents' house. And I'd been there before. Well, I thought, he was going to announce that we were getting married. Well, all of a sudden after getting there, he goes, oh, I forgot something down in Fort Pierce. I have to go back down and take care of it, but I'll be back up here in three, four hours. Don't worry. Well, his parents and I sat there, and eventually we decided to have supper, and it's dark, getting dark out. He's nowhere to be around. Eventually, I had to call somebody from my home in Fort Pierce to come up to Orlando to get me and take me home. 
When I got home, he's gone. Two of the horses are sold. The only one there is mine that I made him write out that it was mine because <laughs> somebody was hinting that they weren't. And he had gotten another girl that was of legal age and proceeded to leave the state of Florida. Well, my mom started getting some strange phone calls. It was a married couple that knew that their daughter had left with him, and because she was legal age, they couldn't call the police to have him brought back to Florida. And they wanted my parents to talk me into admitting that what was going on and to have him brought back to Florida. Well, I did not want to do that. I figured if he did not want me, he did not want me. I wasn't going to force myself on anybody. So she says, I, I don't know why she's calling here. And I said, well, Mom, he left here with another woman, and I'm pregnant. This is a very bad thing when you're a 50s and 60s parent. Uh, I remember one of my sister's best friends, just before I got pregnant, was sent to one of those houses to secretly have your baby, and then her sister adopted her baby, and then they shipped her down to Florida, hopefully, to stay with us so that the waters would calm maybe, and nobody would question her, and maybe she'd get away with having a baby out of wedlock, besides happening to have her sister call mommy instead of her. So she goes, okay, well, what are we going to do? And I said, well, if I have it, I'm going to want to keep it. And I know that will put shame on your father and I, on, my, on, on dad and I, you. <laughs> and uh, she says, well, and I don't want to give it up because if I have it, I want it, period. And she goes, well, what are we going to do then, Tony? And I said, well been thinking about this ever since I was in Orlando. I guess I'm going to have to have an abortion. And she just rebounded and she looked at me and she goes, you would consider that? I said, it's the only thing I can, I can even consider, Mom. And she goes, well, all right. And in Florida at this time, it was illegal. And... So she got on the phone and called my oldest sister. And my sister arranged for a place to stay, to have the abortion, and then to get back on the plane and come back home all in a day's time. That's how quick it is. It's disgusting. So I went up to New York, spent a night in a hotel. The next morning we walked to the clinic and I had my abortion. And then we had to hurry off to the airport for me to make my flight to get back to Florida before anybody really miss, missed me because it was such a secret. Well, I cried mostly for saying goodbye to my sister because I loved her. We were a very, very tight family growing up. And got to Florida. And tried to carry on, 16 years old.
So I got involved in some things and tried to have a good life. I put it back here, right back here. I said, I can handle this on my own. I have to keep it to myself. I can't even tell my best girlfriend. Because a couple years after this happened, a girl did go and have an abortion and came back to Florida and let it out that she'd had one. She was arrested and put in prison for killing her baby. That was the first time I realized what I had done. And I still wasn't saved all the way. Uh, I tried to read scripture. It did not make sense. I have a touch of dyslexia. I'd go to churches. The sermons didn't make any sense to me at all. The hymns made no sense to me at all. Moved back up to Illinois and... Still hadn't done much dating to speak of. I was holding it back here. I, I wasn't a very nice person, but it got worse. I met my husband, and I got married for all the wrong reasons, because I was not wanted. I could not forgive myself. I hadn't had any dates, and I'm like, found somebody stupid enough to marry me. So I jumped at it. I was married for 20 years of a very, very physical and mental abuse that started shortly after we were married. He was so controlling that I remember having... He used to time himself when he got home from work to see how quick, from the time he got home, sat down at the table to have two beers, he could have me in tears. He got it down to about 34 seconds the last time I paid attention to him on him timing me to get me in tears. So, my husband passed away. Well, no, before this, I told him I could pray. He goes, pray? You don't even know how to pray. The Lord's not going to hear any of your prayers, and I believe him. He says, and you're not going to heaven, because you have not read the entire Bible, and I have. He had me believing this. Well, he passed away. There I was alone again. Yes, it wasn't a very good marriage, but it was a marriage. And now I didn't even have that. And I was hurting. And all I could see was men that had walked on me, left me, abused me, laughed at me. And I decided I was going to make them, every man in my life that I met from there on out, pay for it. I was going to treat them the way they treated me. Well, (laughs) I managed to do that to a couple of them when I had a blind date with a gentleman named Danny Tunis. And it was a blessing from the Lord. And on our second he brought me home after the second date. He, he says, well, I'm going to church tomorrow. And I sat back on the couch and I was like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I know. I know you don't get any of my prayers, but please hear this one and have him ask me to church. He did. I sat there and I started crying 
And he's like, what? And I told him what my husband had told me time and time again. And he says, I'll pick you up at 8 tomorrow. So I went to this little church. And I never met the pastor. Like I said, none of the sermons ever meant anything to me. The hymns, the Bible didn't make sense. Well, that pastor, you would have thought, knew every aspect of my life. I understood the sermon. I started crying. I got goosebumps and a warm feeling around me, which was a strange feeling. It was the most wonderful feeling I'd ever had. And I cried. I cried for three days. Had lots of tissue boxes, and thank goodness Denny had lots of hankies. And I did an altar call. I didn't know what an altar call was, but the Lord led me to that altar, and I kneeled and I prayed. Well, (laughs) we were leaving the parking lot, and Denny's looking at me, and he's like, can I ask you what just happened in there? And I was still sniffling and crying, and I said, yeah. Up until that time, I was 47. I thought there were a lot of sheep over there. And I thought there were a lot of herdsmen over there. And that day when I opened my heart to the Lord, I realized I was the sheep and he was coming to get me. What a sensational feeling that he could even love me. So a time went by and I was in a Bible study. Suddenly I could read the Bible. The hymns, the sermons all made sense, and I was, I love the Bible. Lots of intense Bible studies, thank the Lord. (laughs) When we went to church, the Canton Crisis Pregnancy Center was who we sponsored, and they came. It was a, we'd done a drive for diapers and food and furniture and car seats. We were supporting them immensely. And they came to talk about abortion. They even had a movie. I couldn't handle the movie. I, in fact, Danny protected me from it. He says, she's going through a lot now, let alone seeing that. Well, the pastor got a hold of me because he realized, oh, I know why she's been this way. <laughs> Called me into his office and said, Tony, I know you know you need this, this special post-abortion study. I'm not going to make you go right now. I'm not going to push you into it. But you have to promise me eventually you'll go. And I said, okay. And then I went out into the world again. Well, after I was saved, you also get a conscience once you're saved. And I started knowing back here that I'd done something wrong and I went with the counselor over to the Price Pregnancy Center and they, I signed up for the class finally and I took a bunch of tuba fours right there because I'd find any excuse oh I can't make it today boom yes you are you know I, I finally went and they sent a sheet home with me of what 
you go through with every Bible study. And they had a workbook that you go through, you read the scripture, you write down your answers, and you discuss them, and it's awesome. Well, somewhere along in there, it was warning your partner that you're going to be meaner than you've ever been in your life. And I mean to tell you, I was pretty mean anyway, because if I knew one thing that you'd sinned about, I could cut you down with my tongue and leave you in a pool of blood like that. Just to take the focus off of me. I wasn't the only one that sinned. You've done things bad too. Well, I went to the Bible studies. And sure enough, that bad time got there. (laughs) But then after that, it got better. Because I finally learned that I had to forgive myself before I could forgive my own father. And my, even my husband. Because when he passed away, I was pretty much, ha, 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 you're in hell now. Now you know what you put me through for 20 years, and I meant it. And when my father passed away, I, to me, I'd never had anybody. And when I was saved, God, I said, you mean I've got a father that loves me now? Well, after all the intense Bible studies and the crisis pregnancy center, the Lord working... I forgave myself, and then after some more Bible studies, i got to say, it took me two years to forgive my husband. But I can honestly say now, I can't wait to see him up in heaven as the man that God wanted him to be. And I want to see my father and to give him a big hug and tell him that I understand now. There's a lot of statistics. Y'all aren't going to like these. 43% of the population have had abortions. And they're keeping it back there. I would be dead now if it wasn't for all I've told you about. I did not give a diddly-doo about my life. If I was standing on a street corner and lightning was coming towards me or a semi, I would not have moved away. That's how little my life meant. And the way I was treating men, I know one of them would either have murdered me or their wife would have. Because if they were stupid enough to ask me out, I was going to hurt them. But the Lord came in my life. And I never felt so much love in my life. And I know... There are people out there that think they can handle it. Well, eventually something. I held it back in for 30 years. And then once I was saved, that's when... But you have to be close to the Lord. Bible studies. Being with people that have fellowship. My husband wouldn't take me to church. He says, church is everywhere. But you need the bonding and the community, which we didn't have. Plus, he knew if he got me there, somebody would wise me up. (laughs) I love this church. I love this entire family. And if there's anything I can do, I'll stay after the service. You can get my phone number if you want it to be private. Pastor and I will help anybody that we can. 
And if anyone wants to go to a pregnancy center to do post-aborted, I will go with you. It would be my pleasure to save another life so they can have some happiness finally and know the love that I feel from my Lord and Savior. The day I had my abortion, it was a very sad day. It was a very bad day. But the Lord forgave me after I forgave myself. God bless you all. Forty-three percent of the people that you meet at Walmart, of the people in your neighborhood, have had abortions. Their kids have had abortions. Their cousins had abortions. They've worked with people through those decisions. And there's a lot of hurting people out there. And even though we said we were going to celebrate today, I don't want to minimize the fact that abortion is a big deal. It is, a, it is a terrible sin. And since 1973, we have had 56 million approximately babies in the United States who have been aborted, and God has shed a tear over every one of those. But what I want to talk today to you about as we just end real quickly together is how God looks at that sin in our lives so differently than we do. There's some Old Testament and some New Testament examples of some people that have done some awful, nasty, very bad things. And God has shown them, like He showed Tony, that I am here to love you and to forgive you. And if you can forgive yourself, we can move on together. There's a guy in the Old Testament, his name was King David. And King David, after he became king, was out on the balcony one day and he looked down at another balcony and he saw a very beautiful woman and her name was Bathsheba. And uh, King David wanted Bathsheba even though he was married. And because he was the king, he got her. And uh, got her pregnant. And so he committed adultery. But then that wasn't enough because he was really worried about what would happen if this was found out. So her husband name was Uriah, and Uriah was one of the commanders in his army. And he plotted to kill Uriah. And he didn't do it himself. He just had his generals say, hey, when, when the battle gets going, put Uriah up at the front and then you all just kind of back up and let him take the arrows. And that's what happened. So David was an adulterer and a murderer. But in Acts chapter 13, these are the words that we read about King David. He is a man after God's own heart. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And God got a hold of David through one of his prophets. And David came to his senses and realized what he had done and repented about that. And God said, you know what? You are forgiven. Let's move on. 
fast forward quite a bit to Jesus' day. And soon after the Lord went back to heaven, the church started having some pretty significant trials. Uh, The people who were following Jesus started being persecuted. And there was a man named Saul, who some of you know as Paul, the apostle, the greatest evangelist of all time. And when we meet him in chapter 8 of the book of Acts, he is holding the coats of the people who are stoning one of the Christians to death. His name was Stephen. And Saul was clapping. Saul was holding the coats. And a a chapter later in chapter 9, Saul gets so intense about this persecution of Christian that he asks permission to go on a journey to find those Christians who have scattered from Jerusalem and drag them back, put them in jail, and maybe get them stoned too. And on his way to Damascus, the Lord Jesus shows up physically to him and, and they have a conversation that was pretty awe-inspiring. And Jesus said, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And for the first time, Saul understood that Jesus was who he said he is and, and did what he said he did. And, did. and, and Saul opened up his heart to Jesus. And Jesus used him to reach more people in the first century with the Gospel than anybody else. You see, when we think of sin, we typically categorize it. Bad sin, eh, not so bad sin. Medium sin, that's just how our brains work. But when Jesus was trying to explain how God kind of views this sin, he, he said, no, that's, that's not how this works. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking to His disciples and some people that were listening to Him, and they said, uh, You have heard it said, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. In God's book of sin, you murder and you're going to be judged for it. That's what you've heard. And and that's true. But, verse 22, I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother is also subject to judgment. And anyone who says you fool to your brother is in danger of the fires of hell. But, But that's just a little sin. A few verses later, verse 27, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. That, that's right, you shouldn't. You should be faithful to your wife, your husband. But I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in your heart. Murder. Big sin. Cursing somebody, calling him a fool. Oh, little sin. Adultery. Big sin. Well, just lusting after a woman. No, that's just little sin. That's how we categorize sin. God doesn't categorize it that way. In His book of judgment, they're all written in as co-equals. 
Now, in this world, in this life, there certainly is different consequences for different sins. You murder somebody, you go to jail, you, know, you commit adultery, you may lose your marriage. You know, lots of consequences for these things that we categorize as bigger sins. And you, know, you just lust after somebody, you call somebody a fool, maybe you're not going to get in so much trouble. And in this life, certainly there is differences in, in how they play out. But in God's judgment book, they're all written in as sin. Paul explains it this way in Romans chapter 3 where in the first century these Jewish Christians thought they were like one step above the the pagans who came to Christ. Chapter 3 verse 9 of Romans. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better than the pagans? No, not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. They have together become worthless, and there is no one that does good, not even one. And I don't know what your sin is, and maybe you don't know what my sin is, but God says we are all in the same boat. That David and Saul and Tony and Tom and Mark, and Bill, we're all in the same boat. We're all called sinners. And some of us have done some sins that are bigger in our judgment than others, or or maybe we've committed them more often, but in God's book, we are all sinners. And and the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that all of us have the same effect In our lives because of our sin, it says, for the wages of sin is death. What you deserve because you're in that boat of we're all together and as sinners, what you deserve is eternal separation from God. That's what God says that you and I deserve. But the Bible makes it abundantly clear that though God does have a judgment sheet of of sin, for every person in the world, that He has forgiveness and grace that is being extended to everyone as well. When God forgives somebody, what He does is He chooses to never bring that sin back in front of them again. He's going to throw it, as the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. And when God gives grace to a person, what that means is He's going to give you and I something that we don't deserve, but that we need. We need something, we can't get it, we don't deserve it, but He's going to give it to us anyway. And Romans chapter 3 tells us what that is. In verse 20 says, But now a righteousness or a right standing before God, apart from the law, has been made known. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are made right or justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. One of the reasons we have a cross in our church is to remind us that 
God loves us so much. And He loves us so much that He would have sent Jesus down to earth to die on the cross and to shed His blood as He hung on the cross specifically so that He could forgive your sins. And when I was 14 years old, I finally understood that. That Jesus didn't die for the sins of the world. He died for Mark Friday's sins. And I had never put that together. And God says, if you will trust in My Son, if you will put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as Tony did, I am going to take all of your sin, past, present, and future, and throw it as far as the east is from the west, never to bring it back. When I die, I am going to go to heaven and God's going to welcome me in, not because I didn't sin, but because my sin is no longer attached to me. And in fact, the Bible says that we get a double whammy from Jesus dying on the cross. We get our sin taken away, and then we are clothed literally by the righteousness of Christ. That when I stand before God, what He will see is the righteousness of His Son that is perfect instead of my wretchedness and my sin. And for those who trust in Christ as their Savior, that's what God offers to you. So yes, abortion is sin. It is a big deal. But so is lying. So is stealing. So is gossiping. So is not taking care of your brother that is in need and, and you don't care. So is pride. God actually says that's the worst sin. It's pride in front of Him. And we tend to categorize. Here's the big sins. Boy, that's the, that's the ones you... Know. And here, you know, these, these are, God doesn't do it that way. He says all are sinners. You're all in the same boat. And you all need a Savior. And I have provided Him for everybody. And whether you have robbed a bank or only stolen a candy bar whether you have murdered or just called somebody a fool, it doesn't matter. I have sent My Son to die for all of your sins. And I invite you to trust in Him. I invite you to embrace Jesus as your Savior. And I hope that you know that you're in that boat of sin and that you are a sinner no matter how little you think your sins are compared to Tony's or David's or David's or Paul's or anybody else's. But we're all in that same boat. We're all sinners. But I hope you also know that God loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. And if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never embraced Him as the one that is going to get you out of the boat of sin because God loves you so much. Tony would love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. Pastor Chris would love to talk to you. Pastor Brad would love to talk to you. Anybody here that has trusted Christ, we'd love to help you understand that. And whether that is after the service or whether that is a phone call to the office later this week to set up something, I don't care. But I would love for you to know in your heart, what 
Tony knows now that no matter what I have done, it is gone. I can forgive myself. God has forgiven me. And we can move on and have a life that the God can be honored by. And if you have never done that, I would invite you today to make a decision to either see somebody or go talk to the Lord yourself and make that Jesus covering your sin a reality in your life by trusting Him as your Savior. Let's pray. Father God, I am so glad that we have such a gracious God that You don't give people what they deserve, but You give people what they need. And Father, I am glad that Tony, I'm glad that I, I'm glad that many people in this room have come to a realization of their need for a Savior and have called out to Jesus. And I pray that if there is anybody here today who has never done that, that no matter what their sin is, an abortion, a terrible lie, an adultery, whatever it would be, that they could know that it is forgiven at the cross and all they need to do is to come to You and to trust in Your provision for our sin and be embraced by a God who loves them so much. God, may that be true of all of us today. And Lord, as we end this service, we want to proclaim again the amazing grace of our God. The fact that we have a God who so often gives not what we deserve, but what we need. And we want to proclaim that and remind ourselves of it and proclaim it to the world. And so we pray that you would be honored as we sing this song to you. In Jesus' name, amen.